You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. All right, good morning, family. How are you? My, uh, <laughs> you guys are like, I don't feel good. <laughs> I feel like I ate really bad for the last four days. Anybody? Anyone? It's going to be a good nap day this afternoon. Good time to let go of the idol of football and just go to sleep. It'd be okay. It'd be okay. Hey, uh, we're glad you're here. Thanks for braving the frosty morning to come be with us. And we are going to tie down our series on worship. I have really enjoyed this. I am sitting with this really good looking redhead. She's Kelly. Um, She's our worship leader. And she's also my wife. And so it's okay for me to call her really good. Like, don't get weirded out by that. Call this worship leader hot. Um, I'm allowed. I have a license and everything. She liked it, so she put a ring on it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that was you guys are warming up now? All right. You guys ready to go to work? Here we go. We're going to tie down this worship series. We're going to begin with probably the most famous uh, verse on worship in the whole Bible. And that is Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Here's what it says. I appeal to you, therefore, <coughs> brothers and sisters, in view by the mercies of God or in view of God's mercies or because God has been so merciful to you, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now I want to pull apart two words in this passage so we can just get our mind around what's going on here. The first one is the word spiritual, and it's the Greek word logicane, which sounds a lot like logic. And with good reason, because we get our word logic from it. This is the only time that this specific cognate is used in the Bible. And the idea of logicane is this. When you think about what you're supposed to do in response to this thing that's already happened. So God has been so merciful to us. He's been so good to us. That the only logical response is to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Like it's the only, it's obviously blatantly makes sense. That's the only thing that makes sense. In view of how good God has been to us, this is the only logical thing. And what he says is that our only logical response is worship. Now, the word that's translated worship is the word latreon. Let me hear you say latreon. Latreon sounds like a treyu from the never-ending story. So today, when you go home and it's storming, I want you to throw up in the window in the middle of the night and go, Latreon! Anybody? Yeah, some, some of our luck dragon friends have figured out what I'm talking about. Uh, so Latreon literally means service, but specifically divine service. Service given in um, the interest of serving a divinity of some kind. And so Latreon is the word used to describe the duties of a priest as they're serving at the temple. So as the priests are making the sacrifices, they're um, pastoring the people, they're taking the offerings, they're doing the duties of a priest day in and day out in the temple. This is called Latreon. What Paul says is when you think about God's mercy to you and how deep his mercy goes, the 
only logical thing, the only thing that makes any sense would be to give your life in his service. And that's worship. What's cool about that is that these acts of service, these, these ways that we interact to put God on display to the world, with our, whether that be uh, corporate singing or uh, prayer or Bible reading or any of those things, we can do those things. In, it's unique to Christianity that we can do those things on another's behalf. That's called intercession. And we'll talk a little bit about what that means in a minute. But we're able to do these things on another's behalf. We, as the holy priesthood, are able to stand before our God on another's behalf when they can't stand there on their own, which is kind of cool. And that's not true across world religions. I have this quote from an Islamic sheikh who lived in the late 1100s, early 1200s AD. And he was, he's a really big deal in terms of... Um, people who are honored in the world of Islam. He's a really big deal. Here's what he says. The visible acts of worship, such as prayer, fasting, purifying oneself, cannot be delegated to others because they have to do with the body of the person who is obliged to do them. So no one else can take his place except in the case of a vowed fast, which, is a, which a person may do on behalf of one who has died, but this cannot be done by way of delegation. Here's what he's saying. Listen, if you came in this morning, busted up over where your life's at today, you just have to suck it up and do this for yourself. You can't pull on a friend and say, listen, can you stand in for me today? Because I really need somebody to pray with me. That's what we do as believers in Jesus. Yeah, intercession feels like this really churchy word that we kind of only use in Christian circles. But as Aaron said, it really simply means to intervene on behalf of someone else. And this is foundational to who we are as Jesus followers. In 1 Timothy 2.1, it says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. What I find interesting is that Prayers and intercessions are both up there, which means that they are probably two different things. And I think a lot of times we think that intercession just means prayer, which intercession is prayer. But intercession can be any of the spiritual disciplines. Reading your Bible. Here's an interesting thing. My stepmom, uh, so she has seven grandkids, and our oldest is her oldest grandkid. And she reads a Bible through from start to finish for each grandkid. And what she'll do is with that child in mind, so she took Carter, our first, and thought of Carter and as she's reading it. Reads the whole thing. She highlights stuff as the Holy Spirit puts things on her heart. She'll write things in the margin as things stand out to her for our daughter Carter. And when she's done, she presents that Bible to our child, usually when they graduate. What a beautiful gift of intercession. So you can intercede through reading the Bible. You can intercede through fasting. They did sacrifices all the time. We don't have to do sacrifices. They did sacrifices all the time in the Bible. Job, after family feasting, just in case his kids had accidentally sinned, would go and give a purity sacrifice. He was interceding on behalf of his kids. And of course, if you've ever prayed for the healing of a loved one, if you've ever prayed for a friend who is going through financial struggles, that's intercession too. But any of the spiritual disciplines, like worship per se, 
we can use as intercession. And I think worship, we don't fully understand that we can utilize that as intercession, which is why we're going to talk more about that today. But back to intercession. In Jeremiah 27, 18, it says, if they are prophets and if the word of the Lord is with them, then let them intercede with the Lord of hosts, that the vessels that are left in the house of the Lord and the house of the king of Judah and in Jerusalem may not go to Babylon. Again, there's so many different passages where people intercede on behalf of someone else throughout scripture. And I think we need to pay attention because this is a big deal. He wants us to do this. We're urged to do this. Abraham interceded for the entire city of Sodom. And interestingly enough, God didn't want to destroy Sodom because of sexual immorality. He wanted to destroy it because of their lack of hospitality, which says something about how he holds hospitality. But he, uh, he asked and pled with God, hey, if you could find maybe just a group of righteous people, then maybe you could spare them. So God says, okay. Well, he couldn't find a group. He said, well, how about this many? If we can find this many, can we save them? And God says, okay. So he's interceding on behalf of people who had no idea that he was interceding, which I think is pretty amazing. Moses interceded for the children of Israel in the desert. Moses goes up to the top of Mount Sinai. He's gone for 40 days. And in those 40 days, the Israelites, they've lost all hope. It only took 40 days, and they're done. God has left us. Moses has left us. So that's when they build the golden calf, and now they're going to worship something other than God. God doesn't take to that very kindly and says, that's it. I'm wiping them all out. And so Moses pleads with them, no, Lord, please spare them, spare them. And God does. And the priests all throughout scripture intercede for the people. And interestingly enough, God calls us a kingdom of priests, which means we should also be interceding for each other. So when we come to this idea of corporate worship, we should consider how our worship affects each other and how our lack of worship affects each other. So we want to talk this morning about three ways that our worship affects us here, like in this space. Um, and this is something that I think is really significant uh, because we don't, and, and again, this isn't an exhaustive conversation about worship. We're thin slicing one angle on worship, but we want to help you understand it because it gives us value. Like, why do we have to do this? Why do we have to come in here? Like, why can't we just have worship as a discipline that I do alone in my own home, which is great. And I think you should do that, but why can't it just be that? Why does it need to be corporate worship? Well, we're going to give you three reasons why. Okay. And the first one is that our worship changes us and others get blessed. And I want to read a parable that Jesus told um, and kind of help us understand what Jesus is driving at here. Now, on the surface, it's not going to sound like it's connected to worship, but it is. So Matthew 13, it says, he, told, he put another parable before them saying, kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed, excuse me, sowed in his field. In the sm- it is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Okay, so I don't know if you know this, but first thing that we need to understand is that Jesus is Jewish. <laughs> right? Like he is, in his manness. In his humanness, he was Jewish. And because of that, he speaks into a Jewish audience in a Jewish way using Jewish tricks. Parables are not meant to confuse you. 
parable, good parables, all Jewish rabbis used parables, and parables are there so that you and I, the, so the rabbi tells a parable, a story, and in that parable, he has what's called remez, and in that remez, it's a hint that anchors that story back to an Old Testament passage. It can be an idea or a phrase or um, some kind of a, a word, a key word, but it's this idea that anchors it, anchors it back to an Old Testament passage. You and I, then have to figure out which passage he's talking about because it's in that passage that we find the meaning of the parable. It's a brilliant way to teach because what happens is he tells a story and now all of a sudden you and I are talking about the text. Anytime that you can facilitate two people discussing the word of God, it's a good day. It's a good thing. And so what happens is you, you hear the parable and you're like, well, I think he means da 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 da, da because of this passage in this book. I mean, this is what I, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I, it's, this, it's this point. This seems odd and that would throw me back into this passage, boom, boom, boom. And so we start banging the text around trying to figure out where it is that the, and the rabbi just walks away with a big smile on his face. Because the goal wasn't necessarily for us to even solve it. The goal was to drive us into the word of God and let the Holy Spirit speak. There's a couple of things that are really odd about this parable. First of all, there's two kinds of mustard in the Middle East. The first kind is cultivated mustard, and that's the kind that we get our yellow mustard from, right? Um, that you go buy in the store. The other kind is a weed, and it's, a, it's called mustard, but it's a weed, and it's a weed that is like, it's invasive, like moves in, takes over. Think about the most invasive weed, like Canadian thistle or something like that, and it just moves in and takes over, and you can't kill it. They hate it. They hack it out of their fields every year. It's back the next year. That's the kind of um, mustard that we're talking about here. What's interesting about that, though, is the second piece, neither one of them are trees. They're not. And so why does he say it grows up and becomes a tree? See, Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. It's all a lie. Let's go be atheists. <laughs> or there's, a, there's another option. Um, here's the thing. There's this really interesting passage in Ezekiel 17 where it says that God comes and he takes a sprig from the dying tree of Israel and he plants it and it grows up into a mighty cedar. And the birds of all the nations come and rest in the shade of its branches. And now all of a sudden it makes sense. What Jesus is saying is that when the kingdom of God acts like the kingdom of God, people who aren't part of it still gets blessed even when they would call it a weed. That's not anything we want to be a part of, but somehow we're blessed by it. Because, and we talked about this in the first week, when you and I worship, we do business in the spiritual world. And when we do, we unleash the power of God on a community. And when we do that, the whole community gets blessed, whether they're part of the weeds or not. And we live in this world that is so polarized. It's so like who's right and who's wrong and who's good and who's bad and who's in and who's out. And we're missing the point that you and I shouldn't be focused on those kinds of things. We should be focused on worshiping God. And when we do, we celebrate that God is so cool that he blesses people who don't even know him yet. Which, by the way, we immediately go, that's not fair. 
Praise Jesus, he is not fair. Are you with me? Because if God was fair, grace would be null and void and we would all be in trouble. Like, well, they don't deserve that blessing. You're absolutely right. God is just showing off because he's so merciful. And in view of his mercies, the only thing we can do is offer our bodies in an act of worship. And before you take that too far, and if you need like they don't deserve it to be your big argument, let's talk about salvation. Like we, we lose ourselves in our right standing with God. Our right standing with God begins and ends with who he is. It is not about me. And because of that, I ought to be the first one jumping up and celebrating when God blesses people that don't know him. Because he sure did it for me too. Does that make sense? When you and I worship, everyone in the community gets blessed. That's just the way it works. The second thing our worship does is our worship inspires others who cannot worship for themselves. I think Shiloh's video was a perfect illustration of this. And Shiloh's pretty new to this whole worship thing. She's not new to music because she's been doing gigs since she was a young teenager. But she's pretty new to this worship thing. And I remember her telling me it's super uncomfortable because it's super vulnerable. But I remember when she came and told me about that moment that she shared in the video. She said, my mom, like her soul was just weary and she couldn't worship. And I know her mama and her mama is a worshiper. And so she knew something was up. And so at the end of the service, she just grabbed her mom and she said, I closed my eyes and I just put my hand in the air. And she'd never done that, which was really brave of her. And that act of worship inspired her mama. And so her mama joined in. Her worship inspired those around her. It's beautiful. Psalm 34, one through three says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let's put that last slide back up there. Let the humble hear and be glad. Let the humble hear what? Us, us praising. And our praise will help them have perspective and hopefully change their spirit about their circumstances. Our praise affects others. It says it right here, Psalm 34. Now this word humble comes from the Hebrew word anav, Some of the oldest translations of the NLT version translate that as discouraged. So it could say, let the discouraged hear and be glad. It's also translated as meek 13 times, humble five times, poor five times, lowly two times, and very meek once. And with it comes this idea of being in such a low state that on your own you can't change it you are solely dependent on the generosity of others to pull you from that state. And that's what we can do with our worship. We talked about 
Paul and Silas in Acts 16 a couple weeks ago about how they were in prison and when they worshipped, their chains fell off. And what's interesting is everybody's chains in the prison fell off. But not everybody was worshipping. Just Paul and Silas were, but everybody got the benefit of it. It made me think about... a gal who was part of our church who went to go help out with the Montana church plant. And um, she doesn't so much sing as yells. And most of you know who I'm talking about because she was usually in second service, and I loved her. I would take a whole room full of her because as somebody who's up here, I mean, I'm just like you. I can be inspired by others as well, and she inspired me. And so we, uh, we use these earbuds in worship <clears throat> in our ears so we can hear each other and we can hear the instruments. And um, I could hear her loud and clear with these things in my ear every time. And there was one time I just really, I needed that that day. And uh, so after we were done with the songs, I ran out because I saw her walk out. And I ran out and I said, thank you. Thank you for your worship. It just really inspired me. Thank you. It touched me today. And I said, you're really loud. And she goes, yeah. She goes, "I, I just figure the louder I am, the faster the chains will fall off. And I thought, that's what she's doing for me too. My chains are coming off too. She gave me perspective again with the way that she worshiped. What a blessing it was to me. And, and I will say this, like, <clears throat> it's one thing if you're doing that and putting on a show, that's not where she's coming from at all. That, like, and I've had people come up to me, more than one person's come up to me over the years that she was here and go, hey, can you, um, can you do something about that? And I was like, what, cloner? <laughs> like, I'll, take a, I'll take a thousand of those, right? Like, what if we all came in and really believed that the louder we worship, the faster the change, like, that we had some business to do in our worship time with the Lord and that when we came here to do it, we were like ushering in the presence of God to actually set people free. What if we really believed that? Like, what the Bible actually says, you know? Like, it's real, it actually really happens. And I think if we were to let go of our pretense a little bit and just be truthful with our worship, it would change things. It would change things. Um, I can tell you it's changed things in our, in our world. I, I want to talk about this third piece here um, that says our worship blesses other people. Now, that sounds very similar to the first point, but it's different in this regard. In the first point, what I talked about was this. When we worship, we unleash the power of God on a community and he blesses people. For this one, what I want to talk about is this. When I worship, it changes me. And because I'm changed, everyone around me gets changed for the better as well. And here's why. Because the place that I speak from, the place that I engage you relationally from is the place that I invite you into. So think about this. If I, in any of your relationships, if I come at you from the place of anger, what do I invite you to speak from? Anger, of course. If I come at you from the place of defensiveness or insecurity or um, distrust, what am I inviting you into? I'm inviting you into the space that I'm coming from, but what if I come from a place of peace? 
And that peace is in me because I've done business with the Lord and he's healing my heart. And as I then am changed, I'm able to come to a relationship with you and invite you into that same healing. A healing that I could not have invited you into before. Does that make sense? I, I got to tell you a story. <clears throat> so during this whole worship journey uh, over the last year that my wife and I have been on, and consequently because we've been on it, you guys have been on it kind of with us, um, I, was, I had flown to Seattle to speak uh, at a church there, and uh, I fly in and out of Spokane when I fly to different places just because um, it's more efficient and more reliable. And so uh, I was flying, I, so I flew back into Spokane, got in my truck, and I'm headed south on 195, and I turn on some worship. And, and we were, um, I, the, the song came on, it was just on Apple Play, just a random praise and worship station. And the song came on, this is how I fight my battles, right? Michael W. Smith, this is how I fight my battles. Um, you're going to sing it here in a few minutes. Uh, here's what's interesting. In the live version of that song, it starts off with him saying this, the word says, for the spirit of heaviness, put on the garment of praise. And I went, no, it doesn't. And then I was like, what if it does? So I'm driving down the road and I get my phone out, you know, like you do when you're driving. And I'm like, Lord, you're going to have to protect me on this one because I got to know. So I turn on my Bible app and I, sure enough, Isaiah 61.3, for the spirit of heaviness, he gives us the garment of praise. What? By the way, that's right on the heels of Isaiah 61.1 and 2, which is the messianic call. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to set the captives free, like the, to claim the day of the Lord's favor. And I was like, what? And I was so mad. Like right off the bat, I was so mad because I was like, how come nobody ever told me that? Like nobody ever, nobody ever said that to me. The, the way that I was taught to get through hard times, like honest, is you're like, you know, remind yourself of the promises of God. And, but essentially what that means is grit your teeth and buck up. Just suck it up and get through it which doesn't feel like victory, but I didn't know any better. You know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't feel like, like the people of God should be able to kick Satan in the teeth. Buck up doesn't feel like winning, <laughs> right? So I was like, how come nobody ever told me this? For the spirit of heaviness put on the garment of praise. And then I started to weep, like, in my truck, weep while I'm driving. And I was like, if that's true, then how much pain have I carried in my life? And I didn't have to. And I didn't know that there was a way for me to get over it. And so in the words of Spinal Tap, I turned the volume up to 11 <laughs> and God and I had a 90-minute throw down. I, I came into our house. I was losing my voice. I was like, that was good worship. That was good. I was pounding the roof of my truck. Like, let's pray. 
you know, just, uh, really, like for real, why? It, and then there was this point where I was like, Lord, maybe, maybe you want me to be a worship leader. Like maybe that's what this worship journey is all about. <laughs> and, then, and God was like, no. You know, you don't, you're a Bible teacher. That's what you are. And this story of worship isn't about you taking the stage to take your place in the worship world. This is a story about watching God change the heart of somebody who should have known better. And like again and again and again, God has just consistently shown up and and as I have worshiped, my chains are falling off. It is changing me. And because of that, it is changing everyone around me. I got to read this one passage to you. I love this passage, Isaiah chapter 30. What's happening is God has come through the prophet Isaiah to the people and said, I'm going to deliver you from the Assyrians. It's time for your liberation. You guys were not faithful. And now because of your captivity, you've been faithful. And because of your faithfulness, I'm going to liberate you. Check this out. You shall have a song as in the night when the holy feast is kept and gladness of heart as when one sets out to the sound of the flute to go over the mountain of the Lord. This is your, your flute walk. Flute set out to the sound of the flute. To the rock of Israel. And the Lord will cause his majestic voice to be heard and the descending blow of his arm to be seen in furious anger and a flame of devouring fire with a cloudburst and storm and hailstones. The Assyrians will be terror stricken at the voice of the Lord when he strikes with his rod and every stroke of the appointed staff that the Lord lays on them will be to the sound of tambourines and lyres. Tambourines are the universal instrument for worship in the Jewish world. Here's what Isaiah, God, through the prophet Isaiah, just said to the people. I'm going to deliver you from your oppressors. I'm going to strike them with a mighty hand. And every strike that it takes will sound like your worship. You want God to deliver the blow to the oppressors in your life? Worship's the key. And when he changes you, Everyone around you is better for it. Everyone around you is better for it. When you get changed as a parent, your kids are better for it. Your spouse is better for it. Your friends are better for it. That's what happens when we take serious what it means to live a, a lifestyle of worship. And with that in mind, we're going to move towards the Lord's table. And so uh, we take communion every week. If you're new with us, we have an open table. What that means is anybody who's willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is invited to partake in it, but we want you to hold the elements till the end and we'll take them all together. Um, while they're passing that out, Kelly is gonna work through a few kind of like key points that we hope you take away from today's message. The first one is how I approach God in worship has a direct effect on those around me during worship. I love to worship. It is the one, one of the ways that I connect intimately with the Lord. But like you, there are times when I don't feel like it I don't feel like it. We've been fighting, or there's issues in the home, 
issues with extended family or my heart is just heavy over something and I don't feel like it, but I still got to do it because I get paid to do it, so I have to show up, right? And there are some of you who the way that you worship inspires me. And it reminds me that God is still at work because I know some of your stories. And it reminds me that God is still good and he's still at work and he's still worthy to be worshiped. And conversely, there are times when I really need that because I don't feel it. And I see people, rather than worshiping, I see them just talking in the back or they don't come into the worship service at all. They wait and then just come in for the message. It feels so deflating. It feels so deflating. Because I need to be a part of a group of people who believe with their whole heart that in this room, during the worship service, the creator of the universe is here. And he is worthy to be worshipped. And he is at work. He is still good. He is powerful. And he loves us. I need to be reminded of that. And we all have times where we need to be reminded of that by the people around us. The second one, showing up for church isn't just a religious duty. It is a way to inspire others to keep going. My daughter, who was standing over here singing next to me, she has an autoimmune disease that we don't know what it is yet. It could be a variety of things. Um, she is waiting, let's see, she has one more month till we get into a specialist, and I've heard it's just a long road of a guessing game. She's been waiting three months already. She's in constant pain, constant. It's all she can do to get up to go to work and then just get home so that she can lay down. It would be very easy for her to say, Mom, I can't do Sunday mornings. I really need that day to rest. but she loves the Lord and she knows worship does something. So she is willing to come early. Everybody was here at 6.45 this morning to come early to lead our church and to worship herself with her people. Todd, our drummer, same kind of story. He has an autoimmune disease too. He's in pain all the time. He has his four limbs going all over the place constantly. He loves God and he knows that worship does something and so he's willing to show up. It reminds me that if they can do it, I could probably do it. And lastly, when worship changes me, it changes those around me. I have a friend who said, you know, Kelly, I love the messages. We have great teachers here. I love the messages. She said, but during the music time, it feels super vulnerable, and it's, it feels like things can get into my heart that normally can't get in. And I said, yeah, there's actually a science behind that, that music bypasses the brain and goes straight to the soul. It really is amazing. For those of you who have been through any kind of counseling or therapy, you know that to become whole, to experience healing, you have to allow yourself to be vulnerable and open up so you can start working through that mess that's in there. I think the same could be said for spiritual wholeness. 
If we are not willing to allow ourselves to be vulnerable with the Lord during worship, how can he get in there and do the work that he needs to do? And I get it, you guys. I have to stand up here, and I have several hundred people looking at me. Like, I get it. It can be uncomfortable, but we all are in the same boat. We all recognize that while it can be uncomfortable, we are all asked to do it, and we know it does something, and we know that there's a God who is worthy of it. So let's just do it. I've seen it change people. I've seen it change things. It has changed my husband. He talked about it a little bit ago. Um, And my husband, mm, he can be sarcastic. (laughs) Sometimes. What's interesting, though, what's interesting, though, is that, like, that's still there, but it's, the edges aren't as hard. There's not that bite that there was there before. He is softer. He's more tender. And I was trying to tell him this. There's, something's different about you. And he's like, nah And then people would come and tell me, something's different about your husband. And I'd be like, see, it's not just me. Something's different. And you guys, the only thing that has changed is my husband has added worship as a daily discipline. And he worships on behalf of me, of our marriage. He worships on behalf of our children. We told you about the story of our son Gabe with his mental illness. Like, he's better, you guys. He's better because of this. It, it changes things. It changes us. And I have to tell you, <clears throat> thanks, babe. Thanks for celebrating me. Enough of you talking about me. Let me talk about me. I, uh, <laughs> what I have to say is there was never a moment in time where I was like, oh, I worshiped and oh, I feel so squishy inside. Like the light came down and the... <laughs> there was never that moment, which is why when she starts to say something's different about you, I'm like, I don't feel, I don't feel different. I'm doing this as an act of obedience, not because I feel different. Like, that's not what's happening. I never really felt particularly angsty. I just always got a steady diet of being reaffirmed that that was true about me. Um, but, I, like, I never, I, I, don't, I didn't feel a great sense of change internally. But what I can tell you is, as I reflect on it, like, the things that push my buttons, like, don't push my buttons anymore. The things that used to get me amped and, Uh, you know, get me upset or get me like feeling insecure where I would speak out of that insecurity, which is always when you speak with, for me, when I speak with a biting tone, it's because I'm feeling insecure and I'm trying to retake control of my own heart. Let me, let me walk you through my therapy. Um, But those, those buttons aren't getting pushed as often. And so there's more peace in me. Not because some miraculous, oh my gosh, I'm totally, but, but I am different because the things that used to bug me don't. I'm able to work from a position of peace with the Lord and security knowing that I'm okay with him. And so in, in a very real sense, like there are many things in our relationship where I would say nothing has changed and yet everything, everything's different. Everything's different just because we're different. We're not the same. 
And because of that, we're able to walk through a situation, situations in life completely differently. And so it's changed everything, which has been really profound. And I, and I want to say this, men, lead the way on this in your home. You want God to work in your home? Lead the way. Um, prepare the way of the Lord. That's what Isaiah 40 says. You, you be the ones who lead out. I remember um, when Kelly and I were just kind of in the shambles of our relationship, trying to put things back together. And, and I asked her, I said, how do you think things are going right now? And she goes, you know, I don't know how to describe it, but it feels like the heaviness is lifted. Like there's a sense of peace in our home, which at that point in our marriage was a really big deal. And I was like, yeah, that's a really good way to say that. Like, what's, what's, what is that? She was like, I don't know. And I was like, I don't know either. I'll, and here's what you need to hear me say. We pray. We read our Bible. We study self-help books. We read leadership stuff. We read Bible stuff. We read theology. We have Christian community. We have spiritual conversations. We're in small groups, multiples of them. Like, we, we do all those things and the only thing that's brought that kind of real change shifting in our home is worship. It's the only thing that's brought that kind of thing in our home. So men, if you want to be men of God in your home, set the standard on worshiping him because it'll change things. I promise you it'll change things. Uh, I love taking communion together every week because it's this reminder that in order to get God's best for us. It's not going to happen because we push our own rights. It's going to happen because we model Jesus and lay our own agenda down. This reminds us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup, it's a, it's a new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for just this gift of worship that actually really in tangible ways shifts things, even though we can't always articulate it well. God, thank you for the promise that you are not far, you are near, and that we can find you as we focus in on you and your heart. God, give us the courage to be vulnerable to open our hearts up to the truth of who you are. In your name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.